0: before the Lord and to love him and to honor him. And we are especially thankful for those in our deaf community that are here today and those of you that are deaf online. We also wanna welcome you to our services. Uh, What a special uh, part you are in our family. We love you and we are so thankful for the privilege that we have each week to worship together with you because you're part of the family, and we just are grateful for uh, Donna's leadership over the years. Sandy, they've done such a fabulous job, and and uh, just bringing them into the fellowship. And uh, take advantage of this opportunity uh, later on after this service to uh, uh, get to know a little bit more about the wonderful ministry that God has called this church to now for many many years and we are so thankful for the blessing of God upon it. And so I trust that you've come today with a sense of joy and anticipation in your heart. I was so glad this morning as I walked in, I saw Pastor Bill Jones. Did all of you have a chance to connect with Pastor Bill? He was he's downstairs in the uh, Equip U University. You see all kinds of exciting things are going on in Equip U. You. you just never know who's going to show up. It's, uh, it's just a fabulous opportunity for you, and I trust that you'll take advantage of some of the new classes that are being offered starting next week, financial peace among others, and uh, take advantage of some of these opportunities to learn and to grow and to keep on developing as Christ followers for the glory of God. I want you also to keep praying for Pastor Tim Spanberg. He's uh, at a event that had been pre-planned many, many months ago. And uh, so he is uh, taking advantage of this and uh, just be praying for he and Misty as they are excited as they think about this opportunity that you as a congregation have given to them. Uh, He wants to make sure some of these things are all taken care of. He's fine tuning some things back at his own church and we want to give him enough space so that he can uh, be able to make a decision knowing that things are well taken care of there in Kansas City as well as he looks forward to an opportunity with us. So you keep your eyes on the Lord. Let's keep on trusting him, and we're confident that God will continue to lead us for his honor and for his glory. Now, take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Revelation. We want to pick it up where we left off last week. We're moving now into chapter 3, the church at Sardis. And uh, again, I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open to this text, Uh, There's not going to be many additional texts that we're going to be looking at today. So the words in this particular passage are very, very important to us. Let's stand in honor of the Word of God. And we're going to read about the first uh, three, three or four verses together. And then we'll jump in to the message. Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God, that one who has the Holy Spirit and the seven stars, remember the seven stars are representative of the uh, pastors of the churches. I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God." Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you again today for the opportunity to study your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit might be present in all that we say and do. May we have ears that are open, hearts that are receptive. Uh, Help us to understand the truth that you have for us today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today, the 21st century church has an interesting enigma that it is facing. Now, what does that word enigma mean? It really means that we are facing a reality that is difficult to understand or put our arms around it. In other words, the situation is of such a nature that There is no easy explanation and it is an enigma to us. We're having difficulty wrapping our arms around it. For example, back in the early 90s, Time Magazine made it very clear that the age of the super church or mega church had dawned. The article went on to explain that in the United States, back several years ago, that Churches were moving away from that nice, cozy feel of 100 to 300 members, and they were exploding with memberships upwards in the thousands, 5, 10,000 people. The article went on to say that this was the norm, this was how things were going to be happening, that the age of the megachurch had dawned. At that particular time, there were 43 Protestant congregations back in the early 90s that had an average attendance of 5,000 or more. Today, that number has grown to well over 100 churches, with the largest church being Lakewood Church down in Texas that has an average attendance of about 50,000 people every single Sunday. Now, we can argue about the theology and all that of those particular churches. We don't necessarily agree with those churches, but those are the kinds of churches today that are growing exponentially. Now, that's what's happening on one side. You think that, man, all this church growth and all this is happening. But on the other side of the coin, four to 5,000 churches now since the pandemic are closing every single day. So on one hand, you have exponential growth on one hand. On the other, a number of congregations are not making it and more congregations are not making it in the aftermath of the pandemic Than before. In fact, 85 to 90 percent of the churches in America, existing churches, are plateaued or they are declining. So we have this enigma, this this situation where there seems to be uh, in many places incredible growth. On the other hand, there is also a sign of loss. Uh, And for whatever reason, churches, many of which have existed for many, many years, are closing their doors. Now what's the problem? Uh, Lyle Schaller, who was the uh, foremost consultant many years ago, points out the signs of deadness in a local church. He talks about it in his book, The Church Looks to the Future. One of the things that he says, number one, contributes to deadness in a church, is a lack of outreach and a total concentration on member-oriented activities. He speaks about the choke law. I don't know if you understand the choke law, but the choke law simply says this, that the longer a church is in existence, there is a greater tendency to focus all the the, 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 the energies and the money budgets and all those kinds of things on member-oriented activities to the point that we neglect outreach and we choke out the life of the church because we're not sharing our faith, we're not developing ministries to those that are lost. We focus completely upon ourselves and Schaller would say that is a sign of deadness. Uh, he also <coughs> makes the observation that Deadness is when a church has an excessive emphasis on the past. He speaks about some churches being so taken up with what's happened in the past, they miss all the incredible opportunities that are right in front of them. There are so many opportunities. Today, yes, I would say there is probably more opportunities to minister in the aftermath of a pandemic than ever before. A lot of us, we, we feel like we've been stymied because of the pandemic. In reality, the pandemic has opened up incredible opportunities and ways for us to present the gospel with our neighbors and with our friends. Langdon Gilkey, in his book, How the Church Can Minister to the World Without Losing Itself, points to several other areas of concern. One of the things he points out is the indifference that many have to the Word of God. There is a tremendous amount of biblical illiteracy in our world today. Uh, Many people have no understanding of the Bible. Uh, Generations in which you and I grew up, uh, we learned the Bible early on. Today's generations, they very seldom understand the script. They don't even have a biblical worldview. You have to start all the way back in Genesis and help them understand the creation account before they begin to even comprehend the gospel and what Christ has done for them, uh, and so this indifference to the Word of God it has a a lingering effect. And people today, uh, uh, if they don't uh, have a hunger and thirst for God and for the Scriptures, it contributes to deadness in a congregation. Uh, number four, a lack of the holy presence of God in worship. Uh, let me let me tell you that when we meet together. Uh, the Bible speaks about the fact that when we gather as the family of God, the, the power of God is present. And, and and let me tell you, sometimes we we come to worship and we're so taken up with ourselves we don't even think about God. We don't even think about Jesus. We're only concerned about ourselves. And this is what contributes, in Gilkey's mind, to a, a powerlessness, a... a, a, a A deadening effect on what God wants to accomplish. Form and meaningless repetition need to be replaced with the encounter, a personal encounter with the living God. And there are several other signs of deadness that various authors speak about. A love for tradition rather than a love for Christ. An unwillingness to change, a rigidity. We will not do this. We never want to change just for the sake of change, but if change enables us to reach more people for Christ, remember Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I might save some. And sometimes we have to adjust our methodology, not our message, but we must adjust so that we can reach a whole new generation. The things that worked in the past may or may not be successful today, and that's why the pandemic has opened up all kinds of new ways in which we can reach out to our friends and our neighbors and build relationships with those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another one is a lack of personal evangelism and an intentional missionary strategy. That's why I'm so excited about the vision that God has given the Liberty Bible Church to impact Northwest Indiana with the gospel of Jesus Christ by growing leaders, disciples, churches, blanketing this area with the love of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, uh, God is looking today for churches that are not just coasting, uh, but churches that are excelling to get the gospel wherever it may be proclaimed, out into the world in the byways and the hedges of life. Now, let me give you a little bit of history about the city of Sardis. Because the church there in Sardis has really lost its pulse. It did not have any pulse anymore. And we're going to describe that in just a few minutes. But let me talk to you a little bit about Sardis. It was a large city uh, on a commercial trade route running east and west. Uh, it had several roads that converged from the outside into the city. And it had a long and storied history. It was once the capital of the old kingdom of Lydia but it had fallen to the great conquerors Alexander the Great and Antiochus the Great in A.D. 17. In fact, it was destroyed not long after that by an earthquake. The Roman Emperor Tiberius rebuilt the city, but it never regained its former glory. And like the city itself, the church in Sardis belongs to the past. It has a reputation without reality. It's a church in name only. It has no power, it has no pulse, it has no purpose. The church had lost sight of its mission and in the process had become a mausoleum. If you go to the great churches during the Reformation over in Europe, they are empty buildings. They are just mausoleums because those churches lost their sense of mission. They're just empty buildings because they got their focus off of Christ. Sardis is the church of dead formalism and cold orthodoxy. They substitute hypocrisy for spiritual reality. They build an outward facade of commendable traits, but in reality the church on the inside is cold and dead and lifeless. With the exception, notice in verse 4, of a few, notice, a few who have not soiled their clothes. That is, they have not allowed sin to pollute and contaminate their lives. Hypocrisy in any form is a form of sin. And sin hurts, it destroys. And individuals and in churches that allow sin, no matter how small or how large it is, to go on unchecked in their midst are simply going through the motions. Uh, there is no amount of words or works that can cover up for a church church that is just going through the motions. In fact, to have a reputation without reality is offensive to the Lord of the lampstands, the master consultant. He becomes, in this case, the master coroner, and he pronounces an autopsy on this church that is just going through a bunch of formalism, but there's no genuine spiritual life within Now what does Christ think of a dead church, of a church that substitutes stodgy religion for a vital relationship with Jesus Christ? It substitutes worn-out programs for a dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit and substitutes externalism and pretension for inward spiritual reality. It's very interesting that as we get into this particular uh, evaluation of the Lord, there's nothing in this church that he commends. It's the only church where he has nothing good to say about the church. In other words, a church that has lost its soul, there's nothing of value in terms of Christ's approval. He desires that his church be dynamic and real and authentic, God-conscious, Christ-conscious, and Spirit-filled. And when that's not the case, uh, the master consultant does not have any words of commendation. Now, let's take a closer look at this church that is basically a dead church, a sick church. Notice he, first of all, perceives guilt in the church. Chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, he says, I know your works, but you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. First thing he observes about the church is that their reputation is flawless. They have a good reputation. I mean, everybody looks at this church and says, Oh, my, this must be a great church. It's growing. It's progressive. No false doctrine in this church. Nothing is said in the text about them being uh, taken over by the Nicolaitans or Balak or Balaam or Jezebel. None of that is happening in this church. And yet, they are just going through the motions. No false doctrines being taught or preached at Sardis. There's no mention of these uh, other uh, organisms, organizations that were distracting people's attention. They had probably pretty good attendance records. They probably had pretty good offerings. They had no shortages of manpower or money. But it is dead on the inside. And so the reputation... What people think about the church, pretty good. But they also have a problem that reality is found wanting. He says you have a reputation of being alive, but, put a circle around the word, but, you are dead. This is a very insightful statement. How is it possible to be supposedly alive on one hand and yet dead on the other hand? to be physically alive and yet spiritually bankrupt. How is this possible? Sardis is resting on a reputation but evidences no inward reality. G. Campbell Morgan goes so far to explain that the church in Sardis, uh, evil continued to be the rule, though it was couched in religiosity. And Christ goes on to explain to this flawed congregation very precisely. Notice, he says in verse 2, he says, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. It has a high reputation from without, but they have not been doing the works that God asked them to do. That word complete means to uh, fill out in every detail. The church is doing much but they haven't taken care of what's going on on the inside. They're doing much, but their works are found to be quite empty. It seems to be filled with what we would call today a lot of nominal Christians, marginal Christians, people who are Christians in name only. They identify with Christ on Sunday, but during the week, uh, there is no sense of any reality in their lives as it relates to Uh, their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. They just are going through the motions. They love their programs, but everything is designed to call attention to the church. Oh, this is a great church. Sardis, we are such a great church. It's all called, focused on reputation, what people are thinking about the church, but inside there is not that reality of the life of God. They were... Say to their friends and their neighbors, look at this church. It is a great church. Don't you want to be part of it? But Jesus says their works are incomplete notice in the sight of my God. That's where their deeds are insufficient. The outward uh, evaluation is pretty good. But when the Lord of the lampstands begins to examine what's going on on the inside, he says, your works are incomplete. The words of Samuel, remember, that he speaks in the Old Testament, he says, man looks on what? The outward appearance, but God looks on the the heart. You see, it's that heart. It's, It's what goes on on the inside of us. As members of the body of Christ, that is more important than what the world thinks about the church. It's not about reputation. It's all about who we are in Christ and are we living out the life of Christ that we have received when by faith we pass from death unto life and put our trust in the living God. Now, admittedly, the sins of Sardis are not as vile as Those in some of the other churches with the Nicolaitans and with Jezebel and with uh, Balaam and Balak and some of the, the idolatry and all this other that we talked about over the last number of weeks. But sin is sin. We can't categorize sin. The Bible says to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And you see, we need to have our antennas up today so that we do not allow the world and the things of the world to creep into our lives. I don't believe anybody says, well, today I'm going to go sin. <laughs> I don't think that's what we do. We don't wake up in the morning and say, well, oh, today is going to be another good sinful day. Oh, my goodness. No, no, no. Sin happens almost unconscious, we don't even sometimes even realize it. It's so insidious. It can get into our minds, into our hearts. And before we know it, we end up doing something we thought we would never, ever do. And this church, I'm sure, they forgot the words of Paul in the book of Romans, do not conform to this world or that which is in the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You see, we need to renew our minds every single day one of the things I do in the morning when I wake up I wake up and Lord I surrender my mind to you we need to give our minds over to the Lord again and again 1 John 2 and verse 15 do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the Father is not in him you see this soiling it says there are just a few that have not soiled their garments that tells us that the majority had soiled their garments but that soiling didn't take place Overnight, it was a gradual soiling where they were not sensitive to the, to the warnings and to the reminders that the Holy Spirit had been giving them to live true, authentic, believable lives before a watching world. In short, Sardis is suffering from a lack of spiritual reality and hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is what I call make-believe religion. It's make-believe Christianity. You see, many in Sardis were claiming to be something that they were not. They were claiming to have a great reputation, but inside there was no spiritual reality. Their love for God was not what it should have been. They pride themselves on their name, but because they let sinful habits and ways pollute their minds and behaviors, they have no power. Sardis is much like What Isaiah describes in Isaiah 29 and verse 31, he says, These people honor me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How is it possible for those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb who claim to have made a a commitment to the Lord of the lampstands to somehow get to that place in our spiritual life where we're just coasting and living on the reputation. There's not any dynamic spiritual life within. This is what he sees in Sardis as a, Sardis, Sardis as a major concern. Now after he perceives the guilt of the church he also provides some guidelines. And I love this about the master consultant. He he doesn't just point out the problem, but he he tells the church uh, how they can move away from this nominal uh, Christianity that somehow has got a grip on their lives. First of all, notice in verse 2, he gives them a wake-up call. Notice what he says? He said, wake up, wake up, or continue being watchful. In other words, within the concept of waking up, is not just opening our eyes, it's actually being alert and being awake to everything that's happening around us. He is saying, wake up, be watchful. Don't be spiritually lazy. He challenges the church to to wake up out of their slumbering sleep. And notice he says, if they disregard this wake-up call, then sudden judgment is going to come upon them. He says, I may come like a thief in the night. Now, he's not talking here about the second coming of Jesus Christ in this context. He's talking about judgment that is going to happen to the church unless the church gets right with God and gets rid of all this artificiality and hypocrisy. He's going to come and he's going to remove their influence from that community. And can it be that many churches today, their lampstand has been removed because they have settled for phenomenal hypocritical Christianity, and he says, I, you you, you need to wake up. Uh, there's so much for you to do. There, there's a world out there that needs the gospel, but a- unless you wake up, I, I, you, you don't know when I'm going to come, but I may come, and you won't know the hour I come, and unless you wake up and begin to be watchful and change the way in which you're doing things, Uh, I'll remove your lampstand. It speaks there of judgment. Now it's very interesting that in ancient Sardis, the city is besieged by King Cyrus of Persia. Sardis is located on a hill with steep cliffs. And they actually believed that no one could ever attack that city because of these steep cliffs. And it's very interesting that (coughs) the Persian soldiers... The king of Persia actually captured Sardis because as the people were sleeping in safety and thinking that no one could ever climb those cliffs, the Persian soldiers climbed those cliffs and destroyed the city. And it's a reminder that sometimes we think, oh, hey, hey, we, we're safe. You know, we've made this decision for Jesus, and we can just kind of coast into glory. Uh, there's nothing more for us to do. We, we, we're, we're in, and we're happy in Jesus, and, and, and we, ha- we, we, we don't understand that God has called us not to just be satisfied with ourselves. He's called us to reach out and to make his name known to others, big time. Sardis had forgotten this. And Christ exhorts the faithful, the few that have not soiled their clothes, wake up and continue being watchful. This is not a time to be asleep. It's a time to be spiritually alert. And then he says, I I want you to have a whole new focus. He says, strengthen. And the tense there is a strong uh, aorist tense, which means once and for all, strengthen once and for all what remains. In other words, strengthen, make firm those that are just, Viewing Christianity as a game. You see, the strong are to come across come alongside the weak. The weak need the strength of those that have not soiled their garments to come alongside and help them get out of their slumber, get away from this nominalness, this marginalness that they have been living the life of Christ and begin to live a life of full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Paul. After he would plant churches, he would go back to them, and the Bible says he would strengthen them. Well, how did he strengthen them? By preaching and teaching the Word of God, equipping them, helping them to grow in their understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he encourages the few that have not soiled their garments. He says, I want you now to to strengthen, come alongside those that are weak. John Stott puts it this way, an alive and awake minority can recall a majority from death. The few can rescue the many. And though there's only a few that have not soiled their clothes, He encourages them to strengthen, come alongside, teach and preach the Word of God. Get involved in those lives that are weak and are slumbering and help them to understand some of the great truths of the Gospel that will transform their lives. You see, those that are weak uh, those who are allowing the world to to conform them to their image, they haven't been taken in the meat of the word of God. they've been content with milk. I think of what the apostle says in Hebrews chapter fifteen, chapter five, thirteen, and fourteen he says, "Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature." who by constant use, here it is, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. How do we establish good from evil? It's by growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, not being content with just some of the elementary truths of the gospel, but digging into the Scripture and and feasting, as it were, on the food that is in the Word of God. And many of us, we get into this spiritual coast because we're not going deeper into the life and ministry of Jesus. We're not digging into the Scriptures. We're letting others do our thinking for us and we've become very nominal and marginal in our commitment to Jesus Christ. Number three, he says, remember your heritage. Verse 3, continue on remembering, therefore, what you have received and heard. Do you realize we are not responsible for what we don't know? we are responsible for what we do know. We are responsible for what we do know in the Scripture. If all of us actually obeyed what we do know in the Scripture, churches across America would be transformed. I believe this with all my heart. It's not for a lack of knowledge. It's for a lack of putting it into practice. Most of us have heard over and over again, truth from the Word of God, but we have not acted upon it. And that's why the Lord of the Lamp stands. He says, I want you to remember this heritage. The Holy Spirit's been at work in your life. You've been exposed to some of the great truths of the Gospel. You need to act upon it. And then that leads us to what He says about the Holy Spirit. He says, <clears throat> He says, In verse, uh, where am I? I lost my place here. Uh, He said, wake up, strengthen that which remains it's about to die. Uh, And then he talks about, well, actually, I want to get up to verse 1. The words of him who has the seven spirits. This is a reference to the fact that the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus are one. And when he talks about the seven spirits, he talks about the, the fact that Jesus was full of the Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is described in seven different ways. He's described as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, and Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of power, the Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And you'll remember that the Holy Spirit comes and he rests upon Christ at his baptism. Jesus Christ is full of the Holy Spirit. And he is encouraging the church to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit as we lift up Jesus Christ. We need to be much more sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit is what he is saying. And he also notice he holds not only the seven spirits in his hand, but he holds the seven stars. That is the pastors of each of these seven churches. And when God's people get together, the Holy Spirit is the one who must rule and reign in our hearts. And if the evangelical church, and I'm talking about the church at large, we have all too often minimized what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. We need to be under the influence. We need to be controlled every single day by the Holy Spirit. And the implication in this passage is these folks have, for whatever reason, uh, the Spirit hasn't had His way. And so the Lord of the lampstands is pleading with them to, to be sensitive and to come under the leadership and the influence of the Spirit of God who lives within them and who gives them power to proclaim the gospel. And then he also says, in verse 3, he says, Obey it. Obey the gospel. Hang on to the gospel deposit you've received. Pass it on to others. Instead of just enjoying the gospel ourselves, God calls us to share the gospel, to obey it. Obeying the gospel is sharing it with others, letting others know that Jesus Christ can meet their deepest need, that Jesus Christ is the answer to the problems of life. And Then he says we must repent of nominal Christianity. He says, repent, wake up, strengthen what remains is about to die, remember the, what you've received and heard, keep it, obey it, and repent. Again, this is a strong command. He's not interested in Nominal Christianity. He's not interested in Christians in name only He is looking for a church that is pure and spotless and fully committed to him The church is to be spiritually alive But must be awake and engaged in the process of making disciples of all people You see what God gives to us He gives to us the gospel. He's given to us salvation, and we are to steward it well. Let me tell you, none of us deserve this. Not any of us deserve what Christ has done for us. But because of what he has done for us, we need to steward it well and to share it with others and to be under the influence and guidance every single day of the Holy Spirit. And then he promises glory to the conquerors, those that are genuine, those who have not soiled their garments even though they are few. He says, hey, let me tell you, you have some incredible results that you can look forward to. First of all, he says there's going to be a robing. You see this. <coughs> in verse 4. He says, yet you will still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed, there's the robing, will be clothed thus in white garments. That robing is a sign of accomplishment. In many of our free churches we practice what's known as confirmation. And we take the young people through a whole series of Bible studies and doctrinal teachings. And at the end, we give them a quiz. And if they pass that quiz, we outfit them with a white robe as a sign of accomplishment. You graduate from high school, college, graduate school, you put on a robe. And usually on the, the, the sides of the sleeves will, will express the degree, that you, it, the degree that you've earned. And so a robe is a sign of accomplishment. And Jesus says those who do not soil their garments, he says there's going to be a robing and they're going to be clothed in white. Look, verses 4 and 5, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. And again whiteness is a sign of purity. And again purity is not something that we can earn or do. It is something that is produced within us as we yield ourselves every day to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's the one. We can't make ourselves pure. We can only receive that which he gives to us. And he says those that live for him he clothes in white for they are worthy. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Aren't you glad that God wipes out all of our sin with his precious blood? He makes us whiter than snow. It's amazing. We can't do that, but He can. And He wants us to live sold out to Him. There's not only going to be a robing, there's going to be a roll call. Notice, I will never blot His name from the book of life. When our names are called, remember? Remember the old hymn, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be what? There. <laughs> we'll be there. Okay. And it's a very strong double negative in the original. I will never, no, never blot their name out of the book. They are going to experience a roll call and Christ will call their name and they will be admitted into his wonderful heaven. And then lastly, notice, there's going to be a recognition he says, I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. In other words, we're there, we've heard our name called, and Jesus presents us to the Father. And he says, yeah, Here, here's, here's my brother, my brother Will, and he's, he hasn't soiled these garments, and, and he's been living for you, and he's, he's walking in your way. I'm presenting him to you. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? (laughs) Where he confesses our name before his father. And that's why it's important for us to identify with him down here because one of these days he's going to confess our name to his father as someone who has lived an authentic, pure life before him. In closing, let me just put it this way. Reputation without reality is a sign of spiritual deadness. God has no time for that in the 21st century. Actually, spiritual neutrality is not even an option today. If you want to be neutral today, from what the Lord of the lampstands is saying to us, there is no such thing as neutrality you're either all in or you're, you're, your garments are soiled. And what God is looking for more than anything else is a, what I call a hundred percenters. A hundred percenters, people that are sold out to him and have nothing to do with marginalized Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. What a joy it is to study your word. We, we, we just get into the text and it seems like our time is gone, but Lord, I pray that our hearts would be challenged this morning, that, that nominal Christianity just getting by will not be part of any of our lifestyles, but that we would be sold out completely to you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.